Maybe back door, maybe fall off. Sipping codeine, cause I gotta kill a cow. Let me sit sideways in the big bins. Oh, you boys, they my brothers, they my friends. Now it's time to go to work. There's not one guy in the history of this program that's bigger than the program. There's the play. Listening to Brandon Drum. Look, I think the program is moving in a great direction. And Parker Thune. Venables knows what he's doing. This is the OU Insider Under the Visor Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners Podcast brought to you by Olipop. Wait for it, wait for it. Tell me you can hear this one. I got, we got it. We got that one. That was mm-hmm. all I talked That sounded clean right there. My wife actually, they, they, so they went down to Dallas this weekend, man. And I'm going to do the sales pitch for Olipop real quick. And they literally went and picked four different flavors and came away loving the orange, by the way. Like, interesting. Okay. Love the orange flavor. They said it. It wasn't as sweet as um, like Fanta or Fanta, but it it had that that orange kick to it that everybody likes, mm-hmm. uh, and they thought it was amazing. So uh, the the drum household is sold on the cola, the root beer, and orange. And um, I'm 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 not a Dr. Goodwin guy, even though I'm a Dr. Pepper guy, but I'm yeah. a I'm, Definitely, yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm definitely the orange, uh, root beer and the cola. It's good, folks, and it's healthy. Yeah, very, very I mean, healthy. and what brand, what Brandon just highlighted right, th- or right there is what you need to know about Olipop as well. They've got a flavor for you, fourteen of them. So, uh, Brandon's family loves orange. Brandon, Brandon himself, more of a cola root beer guy. I'm drinking the root beer tonight. I think my top three right now are in no particular order. Root beer, grape, and ginger lemon. Those are my favorites as of late. But head to head to drinkolipop.com. Explore all 14 flavors. Inventory's going quick. Olipop is hot stuff right now because it's July. It's hot. People are looking for a cool sip that they Elon can enjoy. Must. On a summer evening, Elon Musk was tweeting about Olipop the other night, folks. Yeah, it's all the rage right now. Jump on board. You can use promo code CHAMPU20 to get 20% off an online order. Or I would always just recommend drive on down to your local Walmart, whatever supermarket you shop at. Odds are there's going to be an Olipop there. There you go. Thank you, Olipop, for sponsoring our podcast. All right. So without burying the lead. We are going to talk about, and and look, we're going to talk about Taylor Tatum, but I want to, I want to get this out real quick. People stop getting wrapped up in rivals calls him four star 24, seven calls him five star on three calls him five star. He's a five consensus five star. 
what that's what he is. And when I say consistent, not consistent, excuse me, he is a composite five star. And the reason why he's a com- composite five star is because he's ranked 42nd. He's not, he was a four star on 24-7's rankings, their own company rankings. He is a four star and ranked like 35th or 36th or something like that on on three. He is a four star and ranked 48th on rivals. You add all that together. In his ranking, he has the 31st highest ranking. If you add the average out and do all the math that they do for all that out of everybody in the country, and that's what makes him a composite five star. And so, the number forward. one running back in the country. He's the number one like, running back. Like you're 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 worried about such ridiculous things right it's, now. At the end of the day, it's all semantics. Uh I mean, shoot. We can cite example after example, Samuel Masigo, PJ Adabare, uh, Logan Howland, guys that gradually see their stock rise over the course of a recruiting cycle. So at the end of the day, the rankings only matter once the cycle is complete. But I will say uh, one of the fine innovations by our former employers over at 24-7 is that industry composite because it gauges the consensus opinion on a recruit. And so if there is a metric that will give you the most reliable indication of what all the experts think it's that one. And all the experts collectively have more or less come to the agreement that Taylor Tatum is the number one running back in the country. Even if not every single service has him ranked number one among running backs, the average opinion of Taylor Tatum amongst those who are involved in the rankings process for rivals on three ESPN 24 seven, what have you, uh, the mean of those rankings puts Tatum atop the totem pole amongst running backs. So for the first time in a decade, Brandon, the Sooners are on pace to sign the number one running back in the class, assuming he maintains that pedestal and on track to sign a five-star at the position for the first time since Joe Mixon. Wasn't Gavin Solchuk the number one running back at one point in 2022? At one point he was. Yes, he was. And I think he was committed to Oklahoma as the number one running back in the country. I think he was number two when he committed. He was number two at that point because uh, Emmanuel Tra- Henderson. Travion Henderson, you mean? No, Emmanuel Henderson, who ended up going to Alabama. Uh, okay. No, yeah, because uh, Travion was year 2021. That's right. When he went to Ohio State. Yeah, Emmanuel Henderson jumped him. Um, and Emmanuel Henderson was from Alabama. So, um, yeah, hey. Then we've we've been trying to tell everybody, and, and look, I'll, I'll dive into it now. Um, it was probably about three weeks ago that I text Parker, and I talked to a source, and I can say it now that it's over with. So, like this is, I talked to a source around the baseball program, and they're like, "Hey, um, go check out his sister." on uh, the OU directory. (laughs) So I looked it up. And mind you, this was like, so about 10 days after that, Parker, we started getting people like, hey, did you know his sister was on? Yeah, we knew, but we didn't want to be the ones to to pop that. Because if we would have popped that man, I'm telling you, um, I think that would have been a bad thing. Because we we did we debated on it for a while, right? Like we sat there and we we're like, should we report this? Like, just to kind of give the 
ease people's feelings on this a little bit, where this thing was headed. So instead, we found out a couple of other things, which was the NIL portion of it. And remember, they talked about it on, did you watch the whole broadcast? Yes. The yeah. So his agent got up there and talked about the NIL portion of it. And that was what took the longest. His sister did not want to go to USC. She didn't want to live in LA. That was a big factor there. And then I want to say this. It's not like she didn't like USC or anything like that. And I don't know her personally. I'm just telling you what we were told. Is that she just preferred being closer to home. And in the end, so did Taylor, ironically. And I think that was... I think that's something one of these days, if we can ever get him on the podcast to kind of dive into and how much influence that made into his final decision. Cause I think it probably made more than even he would probably lead on, you know, just because she's, she's a year ahead of him. She's a sophomore, right? So he gets there. They're going to be able to, to be around each other for two years, probably live in the same house for two years. Um, and then Oklahoma, the NIL portion of the whole deal. I know Oklahoma deals with, not Oklahoma, but the collectives deal with uh, housing uh, people as far as like realtors and stuff like that to work through rentals and and get the players in the homes and stuff like that, along with um, the NIL portion of the collectives. And from my understanding, that was that was kind of the final piece is, hey, let's let's discuss what the collectives can do here, what what is going to be the final piece of the puzzle for Taylor. And and at no point in time did it ever seem like there was any disagreement. It was actually fairly quickly that you kind of got the sense it's done, right? Like it was done probably a week, Parker, right? Before he announced like officially done. Like yeah, it was about a week. Was, yeah, about ironed out and everything like that. So um it, it it just took a lot more work. Everybody's like, oh, he's going to announce by this weekend. This was like right after he visited Oklahoma. It was like, oh, Oklahoma has all the buzz. USC people still thought that they led. And then there came, there was rumors that he was going to announce like, I guess, two weeks later, the, 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 not the following weekend, but the weekend after like, oh, he's going to announce this weekend. It could come by the end of June. You could have a decision made by Taylor Tatum. And it just kind of, it, it, Dragged along, not because I don't think because he didn't know where he was going to go. I think he knew. I just think that he, they wanted every I dotted, every T crossed, and everything settled before they went public, just in, just so they didn't have to deal with it anymore. Uh, you announce it publicly. You have, and and obviously they probably had to get a lot of the, um, the setup with that Longview game day crew. Everything like that. That's not easy to do. To get everybody together, to get get the venue rented out right, or wherever they did that. I'm sure it was Longview High School, but all that stuff to to get put together to where everybody can be there, media wise, can be there, uh, presentation wise, whether it's coaches, teammates, family members that may have to fly in for the big announcement or whatnot. Like, there's so much that goes into that stuff. So there's, there's a lot of um, things that go into that, that make it drag out longer than people wanted. 
though Parker, you and I were like, before we got told it was a wrap, we thought, man, if it drags to August 1st, that's not good for Oklahoma. <laughs> and it didn't, but they closed out on like, you have to give your flowers to Skip Johnson, DeMarco Murray, uh, and Jeff Levy, because they did a fantastic job recruiting Taylor Tatum. And now he's going after, he said specifically, he's going to go after Terry Bussey. And he's going after, uh, who was the other one? Oh, Caden Durham. I'll so. drink to that. There you go. And I, I mean, and I think we, we talked about this in the immediate aftermath of the Tatum commitment, Brandon. But I think what getting the Tatum commitment means for Oklahoma is Caden Durham no longer feels like a necessity but I think this moves him to luxury territory, right? Ken Durham's a dynamic football player, most productive running back in the state of Texas a year ago. You'd love to have him on your roster. That is unambiguously true. You're not saying, oh, we got Taylor Tatum. We can take it or leave it with Caden Durham. No, you're still going to do everything you can. And the Sooners will do everything they can to get Caden Durham in the fold. But if at the end of the day, he decides he wants to go to College Station or he wants to go to the boot, as an Oklahoma fan, certainly as an Oklahoma staff member, is anybody with a vested interest in Oklahoma football, what you can say at that point is, okay, we tried. The outcome didn't favor us. We're going to be just fine, and it's very clear what our contingency plan is, or I guess more accurately isn't, now that Durham is off the board. We've got Taylor Tatum. We've got Xavier Robinson. We've already got a ton of depth in the running back room when you look at the current roster. So if Durham doesn't want to come be a part of it, that's just fine. We're going to keep this thing rolling, and nobody on the Oklahoma end is going to be scrambling if Durham decides to go elsewhere on August 25th. That said, talk to some people that know the Durham recruitment this week, as I know you have as well, and I I still get the sense Oklahoma maintains the edge there. Yeah, I... I'm not as confident as you. I mean, I'll say that just because. Do you think Oklahoma leads, though? I do, but I think the fact that he's going to LSU could change that fact. Certainly. Quite quickly. Um, And I say that because when I talked to the people I talked to this past week, they were very much under the thought that It just it just wasn't he's just such a hard read. And such that he is. And this person would know, except for even those closest to Durham are getting kind of misdirected a little bit. And it's it's not it's a weird recruitment, man. Like it really is because you would think it would be so much easier for a kid that literally grew up the first 14 years of his life, 10 minutes from the university's campus and his mom ran track for Oklahoma. You would think it would be that easy, super easy. The problem lies in the fact that he's teammates with Colin Simmons. He's teammates with DeCorian Moore. And those guys have their eyes on other programs like LSU 
And even though Caden Durham is really close with people like David Stone, Xavier Robinson, Michael Patterson McDonald, even Marcus James in 2025 class, they all played together growing up. Think about that team, my goodness. And, but it just, it doesn't have that feel because he doesn't, or that Oklahoma feel because he doesn't see them daily the way he sees Colin or decoring more. So when you talk to certain people daily, you, you, you start to align in their thinking a little bit more than maybe you would if you weren't around them every day, kind of like with Michael or MPM, excuse me, David Stone, Marcus James, and even um, Xavier Robinson, like he doesn't see them every day. But when he was up, if you remember when he came up and he spent that weekend before his official visit and he was around all of them and stuff like that, where all the momentum went back to Oklahoma, just like that. It's almost like when he's around certain people, his head goes a certain direction and his heart goes a certain direction. And that's human nature. And that's part of being a teenager. And that's something OU fans, college football fans in general, recruitnicks and recruitnicks in general tend to forget their kids or teenagers, their minds are going to go left, right, backwards, forward, all over the place. And it's just a 24 hour span, let alone throughout this whole recruiting process. But at the end of the day, you, you get a sense with he's creating a relationship with Taylor Tatum, and they have been since I guess they broke bread on the visit at the party in the palace because they had to. I guess there was things that had been going on and they had to break bread. So um, they've gotten a lot closer, and we'll see if that's what ends up helping Oklahoma in the end. I, I don't know. I, I, but he is, he is a – he's not a necessity anymore, whereas he's a luxury. And I, you hate saying that. And that if he's listening or whatever, that's not to say he's not good because he's – to me, it's like one-two. You, you, Whatever you got with Taylor Tatum and Caden Durham, that's your one-two. No order. That's one-two. Come, come the year 2026, that's the best backfield tandem in the country. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's more of a luxury just because, and even Taylor Tatum was a luxury just because of the OU's running back room as it is. And you would expect there's probably going to be some attrition, right? Knowing after this season, knowing that those, that hypothetically, if OU landed both, there would be some people, players, that would be transferring out, right? Just because at what point do you sit there and go, man, <laughs> I don't know if I can keep doing this and trying to hold all these dudes off because these are really good players. I don't know. What's your thought on that? Man, how how the narrative changes in the span of a month, how the turntables in the words of Michael Scott, because I feel like a month ago, even as recently as a month ago, there were a lot of fans, folks that follow recruiting in the Oklahoma circle, 
that were starting to move their eyes down the board and figure out, oh, you know, if we don't get this guy, then, you know, who do, who do we fall back on at that point? Who's going to be the next band up that they offer or that they press for? And I think Joseph Jonah Jonye going to Georgia uh, was really, I mean, we, We'd known that was coming for some time, Brandon, but it feels like Jonah Jonye picking Georgia over Oklahoma uh, really brought out a lot of the hand-wringing. And really, since he picked Georgia about a month back, everything that could have gone Oklahoma's direction has gone Oklahoma's direction. Is that inaccurate? No, it's super accurate because... I think we knew that was going to happen. And even the Oklahoma fan base kind of understood that he wasn't going to Oklahoma and he was going to Georgia. So it feels like just because it was less of a surprise, it didn't, it didn't slow down anybody's momentum. I don't think. And I think we're going to look back at it and look at why Gilmore's, Commitment and go. That was the beginning of a lot. I really do. Like he, it, when he committed, I think things turned a different direction because nobody expected him to spurn Minnesota, Oregon, or Miami. They just didn't until they till he did. So, I think that was it, and he didn't have to be a big name player. It just needed to be something that was surprising. And the fact that he committed on his visit and then he came out and then James Nesta and him came out and said, hey, there's more to come. <laughs> and I, the funny thing is, is I ran into it. So yesterday when I was going up to see Danny Okoye, I pulled into 7-Eleven. We were talking to, I was talking to, the guy that we're business-wise that we've been talking to. And um, I said, hey, let me call you right back. And Xavier's in there standing right next to me at the uh, little fountain drink machine, getting a drink with his little sister. And we start talking and he turns to me and he goes, hey, uh, the world's going to be shocked what we do in 2024. He didn't say much to me at all, but that was one of the things he said because we were both kind of in a hurry. And yeah, that, that, that to me, when you have players saying those things and they've been saying it for months, so we're not done. We're going to shock the world. That sounds big. And players can overstate things, right? But I don't think they're overstating this. Do you? Well, it, when I hear a comment like that, what I'm thinking is more along the lines, okay, what would what would shocking the world entail? Zena Amosalu. Well, and to me, you can go several different directions with that. But I think the most likely scenario that would qualify in most people's minds as shocking the world is if Oklahoma just absolutely cleans house with their defensive line targets. Mm-hmm. And 
That's You've fair. said, Brandon, that you think if they can get all eight of those guys on the power line graphic, they'll take all eight. I, I agree. I don't think you're turning anybody of those guys away, any single one of those guys. And like there were there were plenty of folks on the message boards and elsewhere that were questioning the decision at the end of June to the decision from Oklahoma's standpoint to kind of go their separate ways with Jay Sean Ross. Well, what you're seeing right now, as we sit here on the evening of July 22nd, is exactly why Oklahoma was comfortable doing exactly that. Yeah. Because I, I'm i not going to go so far as to say they get all eight of those guys, but I will say I think they lead for all eight. Well, they have two committed, but I think they lead for all six of the uncommitted guys that are left. When you look at Nigel, Stone, McKinley, Williams and Winery, Amosalu, and Danny Okoye. Uh-huh. No, that's the uh, you, you no. I mean, I it just sounds weird to say that, right? I, I think a Mosaloo's in a Koya are ones that I'm I'm not one hundred percent sold on Oklahoma leading and even Dominic McKinley, five star D lineman out of Lafayette. Louisiana, Acacia High School. Um, I, it feels like Oklahoma, like if Oklahoma can somehow, can somehow pull this off to where they can get all of those guys up for the party in the palace, which it sounds like at least two of the three are going to be there, by the way. And here's, oh, okay, I'll, I'll say this. Talking to Danny Okoye yesterday, we were talking about a couple of guys and stuff like that. He only has two official visits set. Two. Who do you think they are? Because I think Tennessee leads for him. Tennessee? Really? I do. Interesting. But, but, I don't think it I think it's by razor thin margin. And I think after the party in the palace, that could quickly change. Very quickly change. Because the way he spoke about OU's D-line recruiting and what's to come, he was very, very open about the fact that there is going to be some Big names pop on there, he said. He said it's going to be insane. And he was confident about it. He said, yeah, I think it's going to be really insane what they do on defensive line in 24. He goes, we're all talking about playing together. It's just a matter of fact of them doing it, I think, is the the, the deal there. Because he really does love Tennessee's D-line coach. Or Dan coach, Coach Eckersley loves him, and there's a comfortability not just with with Danny, but also with the staff at NOAA. And not to say that there's not with Oklahoma, because Chavis has made it super comfortable, and it is comfortable. It's just they're playing catch up still a little bit. So him coming back is big. 
the fact that he said that he was going to be talking to David Stone and a couple other guys shortly after he left, I thought that was also interesting. He said, yeah, I'm supposed to call them tonight and talk to them and all this. So he has two official visits, and it's to the two teams I think are like 1A and 1B. And that's oh, OU and Tennessee. Naturally. OU and Tennessee. But the problem is, is Tennessee's is the final one right now. Mm. So he has Oklahoma set for September 16th. I don't know that that sticks. I don't know that that sticks. I think, and I know Oklahoma's trying to make it an October visit. Well, and that's that's a wise play on Oklahoma's part because he's a November if just, if in in total candor, if we're just being honest with ourselves here, you let a kid go to Rocky Top for a game day for his last official visit, yeah, yeah. you might not be getting that one back. Nope. So. But the difference is he can be at every OU home game this year. The problem is, is OU's home schedule sucks. <laughs> there is uh, there is no lie detected there. None <laughs> so, whatsoever. It is a brutal home schedule. Oh, it's rough, dude. Like it makes you it makes you so appreciative of the twenty four schedule, right? Like you look at it like yeah, it's a juggernaut of a schedule, but how freaking awesome is that twenty four home schedule? It's amazing. You get Tennessee and Alabama at home, and I'm probably forgetting another big name, South Carolina. Who else is coming to Norman? It's uh Tennessee, Bama, South Carolina. I think that's it, isn't it? Because then you have. Oh, because they host Texas, Texas, Texas on the yeah. neutral side, and then the road games are Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, and um, right. They're home at Texas. They get home. They're the home team for Texas, yeah. but it's neutral. That's right. That's your four. That's still an amazing schedule. Yeah, no, it's awesome. If you're gonna get three, if you're only gonna get three true home games your first year in the SEC, I don't know that you could have done better than Alabama, South Carolina, and Tennessee because. All of those are exceedingly compelling matchups in their own way, right? Alabama is obviously the cream of the co- crop in college football uh, for the last fifteen be years. First, first week, it's going to be the first week of the season. Yeah. You well, know that's what SEC is going to do. Week one, boom. <laughs> well, in Tennessee, Get obviously off. you got Josh Heupel coming back to Norman. That ought to be interesting. Back for the first time in a decade since he departed as the program's mm-hmm. offensive coordinator. And South Carolina is the Beamer Bowl, man. I love it. I love that slate. It's really good. It's really good. It's great for Oklahoma. Um, it's just a shame. I wish Stogner had one more year just so he could play up against the team that he played for for one year. Hey, there's there's the chance that Rattler could be back. I know, because he probably is making more at South Carolina than he probably will in the NFL. At this yeah, no, I'd, I'd say there's a next to zero chance that Rattler's playing at South Carolina next year, but that's exactly what I would have said at this point last year, and Look where we are. So who knows? Who knows? So let's talk about we've been talking about the the defensive line and how big it could be. And you said you think OU leads for everybody. I think OU leads for at least four of the six and is right there nipping at the heels of 
the leaders or if they even are leaders, right? They're 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 within striking distance of the other two, uh, Mosalu and Akoye, in my opinion. And I think at the end of the day, I still I, I I'll say this: I think Oklahoma lands Akoye. I just don't think it's going to be as easy as it should be for an in-state kid. And it never is. And when it's a Tulsa kid, we get it. We get it. Tulsa kids are difficult, but it's because they're two hours away, two and a half hours away. So like, it's not like they can drive right down the road. Like they're in Oklahoma city or anything like that. I think that's a big difference, but there there's some decisions coming up on the defensive line that we know of, right? We know Williams Winery is, or, so I was watching a podcast, dude, and I'm not making fun of him. Like it just was funny, and it was a, it was a Georgia podcast. Oh, this interesting. They pronounce Williams Winery. <laughs> they pronounce it Williams Wannery. <laughs> well, they're Georgians. You know how it goes. And they can't help it's the accent. They can't they're not doing it on purpose. But you hear it over and over and over. And since we know how to pronounce it, it's like on the chalkboard, dude. Every time they start talking about it, I'm like, oh my God, say the name, man. Say it correctly. And I butchered the easiest of words, Grayson Halton, for a long time because I always said Halton for some odd reason. It would come out with an M instead of an N. But it it just when you that you elongate the wannery, and then those <laughs> the, the 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 W is very pronounced. Williams Winery. All right, uh, the A actually is elongated. Um, what's your gauge on that? I know I was told it was going to be the first week. They weren't particularly set on August first as the date. Whenever I spoke to somebody that knows that situation fairly well. Yeah. And then you see it brought up on a board that I guess he told Chad Simmons at on three that it was going to be August 7th. So it kind of, it kind of tracks the first week. They're supposed to be on vacation that week. So he can just get away from his phone after he announces. Do you still feel Oklahoma has that momentum? And do you think there's a world where Georgia is still involved as much as some may report? I I do not believe Georgia's in the top two here. And I reported that to OU Insider VIPs uh, four or five days ago at this point, right after I was up there at least Summit North on Tuesday. And look, like I... I'm comfortable riding out our intel on this one. I get that there's a lot of conflicting intel out there, and I'm I'm not trying to toot my own horn or our own horn, but, I mean, here's what I'll say. Throughout all the ebbs and flows and coming and going, uh, all the, every way that the information has been presented over the last five, six months in this recruitment, one thing we've continually said is, it's Oklahoma at the top. It's Oklahoma at the top. It's Oklahoma at the top. 
Uh, we were first to report the Oregon visit. Uh, we're really the only ones throughout this whole p- process that have maintained that Missouri is a contender here. And so, like, I, I, I say all that to say what we he- have heard and continue to hear on Williams and Winery at times has conflicted with some of the national intel. But I, I would hope it would be acknowledged that pretty much without exception, everything that we have put out there on the Nwaneri recruitment has been accurate. So that leaves me a lot of confidence, uh, just kind of riding things out with uh, the sources that we're tied in with on this one and seeing how it plays out over the next couple of weeks. I will say this, uh, everybody that listens to this podcast, I would think at this point knows how involved Williams and Winery's head coach, Jamar Mosey, is in the whole decision process and uh well not necessarily the decision process but the recruitment process more accurately um jamar's the one that coordinates all the visits accompanies his guys on all the visits uh and i and i've gotten i've been fortunate to get to know jamar pretty well over the last couple of years covering caden green and will and isaiah his son and uh, obviously kamari Moore most recently but uh, when I was up there, at least Summit North, I was having a conversation with Jamar about Williams recruitment and that August 1st date that had been floated. And I'd, I'll relay this because what, what Jamar told me was, look, man, the first is when it's supposed to be. Um, That's kind of what we've been planning on shooting for, but ultimately it's out of my hands. It's in the hands of his kid or the the kid and his family, because they're going to be on vacation. And so it's up to them if they're going to hold to that timeline to announce on that day. If they don't, I can't really pull the strings and make it happen. So uh, ultimately that's at the discretion of Will and his parents. So as far as the timeline is concerned, I think what everybody is on the same page about is that this is going to happen in early August, one way or another. It'll be done before Nuaneri's senior season kicks off on August 25th against Jay Sean Ross and Liberty North up at LSN. I should be at that game. Um, But yeah, man, I just, well, at this point there's so how many of them will be Sooners by then? (laughs) Man, that's a great question. Oh, you could go four for four at least some in North with, and, and it should go four for four. If I'm just, if I'm just backing up my future casts to this point, because I've got one in for Nwaneri to OU, for Isaiah Mosey to OU, and for Kamari Moore to OU, and none of those three guys should be entertaining the uh, the process a whole lot longer from all that I've heard. So, yeah, man, it's. Look, it's Oklahoma and it's Missouri that are at the top right now. Uh, From what I was told, speaking to a multiplicity of sources up at LSN earlier this week, it doesn't sound like there's as much Georgia, there's as much true buzz there for Georgia as there seems to be from the other end. And once the decision is made and it's final, I'm happy to elaborate a little bit more on why I'm saying that and why I wrote that earlier in the week at OUinsider.com. But uh, it, it feels to me like there is a lot more confidence that Georgia is a top contender 
down there in the peach state, then there is confidence that George is a top contender in Nwaneri's own circle. So again, two, three weeks from now, we're going to know for sure. At that point, it'll all become clear. There's a heck of a lot more that I'll be able to say about the whole process at that point. But as of right now, uh, from everything I am told, it is Oklahoma and it is Missouri that are heading up the race. Obviously, there there is that looming unofficial to Oregon on July 29th, where you know the Ducks are going to make a strong final push and see if their last overtures to the nation's number one defensive end can hit home. Do I think it's an impossibility? No, but I, I wouldn't count on this happening right now. I I still believe at the end of it all, the kid ends up a Sooner. So where where do you think this Georgia buzz is coming from? I, I, it just, it's got to be coming from somewhere. And I know it's coming from Georgia side because they feel good about things, but I, I'm just wondering what is making them feel good about things when it, you, you, me, I know the guys at 24-7 that we still talk to, Phil, it's Oklahoma and Missouri. How is there this select group of people that are like, yeah, Georgia's still the number one team? Like it, it, you know what this feels like? Well, I I'll t- and I said this the other day, Derek LeBlanc all over again. Yep. Derek LeBlanc all over again. Florida, 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 Miami, Miami, Miami. And we're sitting there going, it's Oklahoma, dude. Like, what are we talking about? <laughs> Turns out it was UCF, but that's a whole nother conversation. Well, but he committed signing. Yeah, no, I mean, yes, yes. Went through spring. Listen. Look, the uh, yeah, it was more a joke than anything else. But no, yeah, I no, like a lot of people take you literal on that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was eight eight months. Like I'll I'll patch on the back for that one, Brandon. That was darn near eight months that you were sitting there saying it's Oklahoma for LeBlanc, regardless of what anybody else was saying. And it I I I kind of feel like that's the spot that I've been in with Nwaneri in Oklahoma because it's been Tennessee and then Georgia and Oregon had their day a while back and Oklahoma like I just want everybody to be cognizant of this reality the one constant in this recruitment has been Oklahoma there has never been a time where Oklahoma has really fallen out of favor or fallen off the podium as it were they've always been either at the very top or right there, very near the top. And for my money, knowing what I know, having heard the things that I've heard, my belief is that they've been at the top ever since they hosted Nguyenary for his most recent unofficial visit to campus in early March, which obviously preceded the OV swing that took him to Oklahoma June 9th through the 11th. This is a recruitment that I feel good about. And I feel confident that unless something changes in seismic fashion, the destination for this kid is going to be OU. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think that. But I guess, well, I guess I never, I sorry, I, I need to backtrack. I never truly answered your question as to why the Georgia buzz on Noinary. Um, and from where I stand, Brand, like this is, uh, I'm not trying to take a dig in anybody. I'm not trying to speak ill of anybody. I hope it's not construed that way, but I think one of the 
perils of this profession, and you and I have certainly fallen into this trap as well. It's a really easy one to fall into. Mm -hmm. But I think you run the risk of getting caught up in an echo chamber with the intel at times if you're not corroborating it from multiple ends. And, right, uh, you know, I'd, I have been up at least Summit North probably more than anybody else in the industry, probably close to twice as much as anybody else in the industry over the last two years. And so I have spent a lot of time around the people up there, around that coaching staff, around the kids within the program and the folks that hang out on the perimeter of the program as mm -hmm. it were. So um, when I hear the same stuff from the OU side that I'm hearing from the LSN side, got a pretty good inclination that everything matches up and I'm not being misled. And I think from the Georgia side, and it makes sense because Georgia is a thousand miles away from Kansas city, Missouri, right? But you don't, you don't have that same ability to corroborate what you might be hearing from the Georgia end on the kids side of town. Yeah. It's not as easy to do. No, that, that that's fair. I think I just feel like this, I'm ready for it to get over with. Like I'm ready for, and I think it's more, I want it badly for the OU fans just because of everything just all the crap they've been through with defensive line recruiting over the years. I think the Jaden Jackson thing was just such a, a pick me up for them. Huge pick me up for the, the OU fan base. As far as defensive line recruiting goes, they still, however, have a, a nervousness about them. Every time somebody says something about Williams Winery or David Stone or Dominic McKinley or uh Danny Okoye or I'm, I'm trying I'm probably I'm trying to think here who else is uh Mosalu who else am I missing here There's another one I know. I'm Nigel. Missing. Did you say Nigel? Nigel Smith. I didn't say Nigel. Dude, I'm going to see him this week. <laughs> well, he's the easy, easiest one to forget it. Like, I, I find myself he just doesn't, he overlooking doesn't Nigel out Smith there. so often because he just, like, he's taking a step back from the whole process, mm -hmm. not really putting a whole lot out there, not doing near as many interviews as he did at one point. And so, and also it's just the fact that he's he's been leaning very heavily towards Oklahoma for over a year now. It's almost so like he's not just... going to the party in the palace. I'm going to tell everybody that he is not going to be there. He's not going to be there and he's not going to go before. Originally, the thought was that he would visit Oklahoma prior to if he wasn't going to make the party in the palace. He's not going to be there. I spoke yeah. to him yesterday. Yeah. So. Um, and I don't think. I don't know. Maybe there was a time, but as far as I'm aware, that's kind of been the plan all along. The plan all along was for him to take that Texas A&M. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but the, 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 there was a there was there was a thought between him and people around Norman that earlier, like midweek, he would come up and hang out at Oklahoma or visit gotcha. Oklahoma prior before he went to AM and that's not going to take place. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, look, what happened at Texas A&M with coach Terry Price, somebody that I knew really well, um, was awful. 
Like it sucked. And he was very close to Coach Price. Very close. And so you expect Nigel to go, and we're talking about four-star DN out of or defense alignment out of Melissa. For those don't that don't know Melissa, Texas, you expect him to still take that visit just out of respect. Like that's just the type of kid that he is. And it's not to say that he's not interested in AM because I think AM's right there. I think AM and Texas are trying to make a run here. I don't do you think Ohio State's as high as some people feel they are? As as as, as high as some people think they are? No. Yeah, there's there's have- a there's a, there's a select group of people that still feel Ohio State is very much in the running because he's close to Peyton Pierce. We've heard it. You and I both. Yeah, been- I mean, sure. They, especially right right after Peyton Pierce committed to Ohio. Oh, State. Yeah. They, I mean, and you know, it's it's to be expected to a certain extent. But there were fans on message boards conceding Nigel Smith to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's it, it almost is akin to. Um, Jaden Jackson and David Stone. The second Jaden Jackson committed Oklahoma, Miami fans are like, yep, we're out. <laughs> but I actually kind of believe that. <laughs> <So>. <clears throat> but and speaking of, of David Stone, I guess people are going to want, you can't go a podcast without talking about Winnery and David Stone, can you? You got to. Every podcast. Those are the guys everybody wants to talk about. We'll, we're, we'll talk about Don Kinley as well. Uh, and Zena Mosalu, by the way. But sounds like there could be a decision in the next 30 days from what I'm hearing. And I don't want to give the date away other than to say we've hinted about it on OU Insider a little bit potential date and it's not 100% in stone pun intended but it's getting there the concrete is hardening fast and if I was a betting man right now I would bet on the date that I hinted at in August on OU Insider so if you're on OU Insider you know what I'm talking about um yeah, that that it could be quite the week. I'll say that it could be quite the week for Oklahoma if that that turns out to be the case. Quite the week, and people are going to try. Is it the week of Winery? Is it the week of Caden Durham? Go to OU Insider. <laughs> That's what I'll tell you. And I'm not. I'm being very, very clandestine about it for for obvious reasons. I. That's his place to publicly come out and say the date. And since he hasn't finalized it 100% publicly, I'm not going to say it publicly, but it's it's going to be interesting. Um, one way or the other, I think everybody will be able to watch it if you want to. And you have the time to. So, um, Dominic McKinley, you we were talking about it off the air and you said you're coming around to him 
I'm and coming around, man. Yeah. I'm coming around. Oh, Could be the will, momentum. Could be getting caught up. That or or I might be that. lost in the sauce. That's all right. You put your sources up against anybody? Well, I don't know about that. going to know before everybody? Oh, I see where this is going. <laughs> so you'll know before everybody because of my sources. And uh, yeah, they were the last person to flip their pick. If you're not first, you're last, right? Oh man, I, I, I'm biting. I, there are so many things I want to say. I'm biting my tongue on all of them. Mm. Um, <laughs> but not like on, on the McKinley thing. I think it's more just the longer this goes, where we don't hear anything about another school making a charge or making a run. Like there comes a point in time at which everybody else is going to run out of runway, right? Because Oakland, I mean, we've talked about it. I think it's kind of the understanding right now and the consensus across the industry, unless you work for Inside Texas, that OU leads for McKinley. Now, again, the, the very obvious but very necessary caveat that I have added every single time we've had this conversation is OU leading for McKinley does not equal OU is going to sign McKinley or I would predict right now that McKinley is a sooner in the end because it it still feels like this one's a ways from being over even if it's not as long as we initially anticipated and even if there's a decision that comes sometime before the All-American game in January it still feels like there's a lot to be decided here but especially Brandon especially if he shows up to the party at the palace Man, how do you not favor OU at that point? That might be the point at which I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is and say he's going to the University of Oklahoma. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think I want to know where he's going to visit this weekend because obviously he has a couple of visits he has lined up. Uh, and I have yet to confirm it that he's going to be in Norman. My gut says probably. But will he come to Norman early? Kind of like uh, somebody, another five-star D lineman might do. And then go to LSU on the weekend. I just, if he does end up visiting Oklahoma this week, I, I don't care who else he visits afterwards. At that point, because it'll be like his third trip in a matter of three months, you start to look at it and go, okay, this is real. Like, real, real. And I think it'll be his fourth trip overall because he came up for a junior day as well. So that would be really impressive to get him four times in the offseason up to Norman and then potentially for a game as well. You have to like Oklahoma's chances, regardless if he ends up going somewhere else. The fact of the matter is this dude grew up 50 miles from Baton Rouge, and he's scaring the living crap out of the LSU Tigers. And I'm speaking of he, Todd Bates. Scaring the living crap out of him. 
And and mind you, it sounds like AM's the other team. For some. Some people believe it's AM, some people believe it's Texas. But it's always Oklahoma and Oklahoma and Oklahoma is a constant team. Oklahoma LSU, Oklahoma AM, Oklahoma, Texas. The last defense alignment we heard that with was Jaden Jackson. It was Oklahoma and Miami, Oklahoma and Ohio State, Oklahoma and Texas. He went to Oklahoma or is going, committed to Oklahoma. So you always take that consistent name and you've got to kind of in your head think, okay, well, there's something to that. Why are they always a consistent name? It's like that with Winnery too. It's like it's Oklahoma and Georgia, Oklahoma and Missouri. But yet people still feel Georgia leads some people. That just blows my mind. It was Oklahoma and Tennessee. And finally, other people that were pushing some of those narratives are now on board that it's Oklahoma. While others are not so much. And so, I mean, I was told the other day that, and I was told this by another reporter, by the way, and they said the ones that are going to know Williams Winery are going to be Parker Thune and Steve Wolfhall. Just saying. So, um, let's let's kind of switch it up out of the recruiting aspect. Uh, we talked about Akoya earlier. Talked a little bit about a Mosalu, four-star DN out of Allen, Texas, brother plays for Texas. Sounds like he's going to make it up to the party in the palace right now. So that's big. Uh, we'll tell you guys if that's going to change or not. And, but I want to talk about surprise teams in each conference. We're going to pick a winner of each conference and we're going to pick a surprise team that could win the conference. And why? Okay. They're your surprise team. Okay. Fair enough. Where do you want to start? Let's start. Let's start with the Pac-12. Oh, fun. Okay. Get it over with. I'll tell you who my surprise team is. Uh-huh. The Arizona State Sun Devils. Because okay. I think like there's been, and it's more of just, like, it, it is admittedly a bit of a shot in the dark because it's a new coaching staff, first time head coach, a ton of roster turnover between the years 2022 and 2023. But I'm a big believer in Kenny Dillingham. And if they got their quarterback situation right, and I don't know whether that means it's Jaden Rashada or Drew Pine, or I can't even remember off the top of my head who the third guy is that's competing for the job, but if they got their quarterback situation right, I think that's a team that can go places in 2023. So I, I, let, let me put it this way. Obviously, Oregon and USC are the two schools that everybody assumes are going to, they, they're going to be heading up the Pac 12 conference. And Washington might be that third team that steps up and challenges them. But if I'm truly going off the beaten path here, I would say Arizona State 
And I would be like, honestly, at this point, I'm more bullish on Kenny Dillingham making some big things happen in his first year as a head coach than I am on Deion Sanders making big things happen in his first year as head coach. I love Kenny Dillingham. I've known him for a while. Um, Good guy. Good coordinator. Has really skyrocketed up the coaching ranks very quickly. Started at Memphis, went to Florida State, Oregon. Now he's the head man at Arizona State. So I I can see that. For me, I don't think it's necessarily a surprise team, more as because everybody everybody feels USC is going to win it all, right? And I do. I think USC is going to win the Pac-12. I do. Okay? I'll just come out and say it. I think they have the best quarterback in the country. I think – they are significantly more talented on offense than everybody else. And generally year two for Alex Grinch is his best years. You go back and look at Washington state, you go back and look at Oklahoma year two was the best year that he had on defense, right? Cause 2020 Oklahoma is what 28th on defense. Can't remember you Washington states. I know that he ended up being really good as a D coordinator there uh, and their defense was quite stifling uh, during the last half of his tenure as DC. So, and it began year two. So I think you'll see improvements there. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's going to be enough to win a national title though. Having the best quarterback in the country can can do that for you. We've seen it before. So, I mean, there's that, but uh, I'll go. It's not a surprise team per se, but I'm going to say Utah just because nobody really talks about them a lot. They always talk about USC, UCLA, Oregon. Washington, I think, is another team that can be a surprise team. Because you would think um, trying to Penix would have a better year than he did last year. Um, But you return Cam Rising. You have Jaquindon Jackson at running back who just went off at the end of his freshman year. Yeah, you lost Dalton at tight end. That's tough. Uh, he's, He's a freak. But I just think they're gritty, just gritty. And at the end of the day, that grittiness seems to carry them more than just outskilling teams. And so I, I, I tend to think that they're going to be another. I think a lot of people, where did they have them picked, Utah? Gosh, I, I th- maybe fourth. I think they might have been fourth. So that's a that's a decent surprise team. I mean, fourth isn't. Like one, two, and three is usually – would they have Washington third, I'd assume, or Oregon? So, did they have UCLA in the top top four? I don't Can't. know. I know UCLA, USC was picked to win the conference. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Do you have USC winning it in the Pac-12? It's kind of hard not to pick USC. Um, they ain't winning in 24. They ain't well, be that's, that's the thing. Like I, <laughs> USC is the safe answer. I would say okay. So here's your. 
Um, here's your preseason poll. It's actually USC one, Washington two, uh-huh. Oregon or Utah three, and Oregon four. Interesting. Hmm. I'm just I'm, I'm I don't think very many people actually think of Utah when it comes to that still, even though they've been so good. Uh, I, I'll take. I was like, who who was fifth? You know what? Never mind. Oregon. This State, was UCLA. Oregon State quietly mm, had a here we go. year last year. They won ten games. I know. They were ten and three. I'm gonna pick Oregon State as my surprise team. Screw the Utah stuff. I'm going to Oregon State. Wow. All that pontificating for nothing. I know, right? Yeah, I went deep. I even researched to revert like, to the Beavers. Why I wanted Utah and all that type of stuff, and then. You know what? I forgot. I forgot Oregon State won 10 games last year. I'm going to Oregon State because I think that coaching staff's really good. Okay. Uh, where do you, where, where do you want to head next? Let's go to the ACC. Okay. Surprise team out of the ACC. Surprise team out of the ACC. I, I'll be honest. I, the ACC just does not really intrigue me as a football conference. It doesn't. No. I just what what would be a satisfactory answer here? Like what is because I I fully believe Clemson's going to win this conference running away. It's like what does a surprise team in the ACC have to do Drake in May. order for it to be in order for their season to be quantified as a success? Just get to the ACC championship. Win double-digit games, like what's the Miami? I'm I'm not a believer in Miami. Oh, I, I hear I hear you. I'm going to say my surprise team, North Carolina State. I'll say it's North Carolina State. So. What's your their their pick fifth? Uh, well, I guess not. That's that I just saw on Google Power Rankings. I think that was, um, just somebody's power ranking. I guess. Uh, dude, do you see Miami is picked to? Okay, that was twenty twenty two. Why does it do that to you? Why? 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 I don't know. But I, I. So I'm taking North Carolina State because a same reason you use for Oregon State. I think they got a really good coaching staff, good leadership from the top down, and when you have good leadership, uh, losing guys to the NFL and to the transfer portal doesn't hurt as much as it does if you got an inexperienced staff that's not as familiar with you know how to build, establish a culture, how to get the whole locker room bought in, and also to execute a system and a scheme regardless of the individual pieces that are involved. I also got to roll with my lefty brethren, Brennan Armstrong, the Virginia transfer, taking the reins for NC State. And I think they picked up a really underrated transfer last week in Brad Bradley Rosner, the, get this, eighth-year senior wide receiver formerly of rice caught 10 touchdowns a year ago, six foot five. Really like what he brings to the table. Think he could be a thousand yard guy. If things break right for him in that NC state offense. Okay. So you've got NC state and Clemson winning it. 
I'm going to go Florida State. I, I, I know. I don't know I, if that counts. No, no. I said winning the conference. I didn't say they were a surprise team. Oh, okay, okay. No, so you take Florida State over Clemson. I am. I'm going to go with Florida State. I, I just okay. think Travis is just – they have the better quarterback right now. Now, obviously, I, I feel like Klubnik can obviously do – Prove me wrong, I guess, but at the end of the day, I I, I like I like what Jordan Travis does. I like their defense, Jordan verse. I like uh the fact that you know they are uh they brought in some players like Keandra Jones, which Oklahoma wanted at offensive line, right? Uh they brought in the Western Michigan defensive lineman. Was it Brandon Fisk? Braden. Braden Fisk. I think it's Brandon Fisk. Fisk. It's Braden. Braden? Yep. Okay. Braden Fisk. Um, And I don't know. I think they've done a really good job in the portal. I think they've done a really good job recruiting. I think Norvell is a really good coach. So I think that's why I have them pick to win. My reasoning for Duke is the fact that Elko won last year. I think they won the military bowl, if I remember correctly. I was just there on the Duke campus, actually, on the way back from uh, the Outer Banks. I took my boys to uh, Duke, North Carolina, Clemson, and then we went to Bama on the way home. And I I think Elko is a really good coach. I think he's changing the culture there. I don't know that he's going to stay there very long, but I also think he has one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the ACC and Riley Leonard. Leonard can ball, man. Yeah. Riley Leonard can play some ball. Yeah. Uh, and obviously the defense probably needs to continue improving. It went, I think it improved quite a bit uh, in Elko's first year, but they brought in Al Blades. I think he transferred from Miami to Duke, if I remember right. And I don't. I do remember Miles Jones from A and M followed Elko this year. So um, I like. I don't know. I just think the fact that you have Riley Leonard, you've got a chance to surprise people, and so they're going to be my surprise team that could potentially play in the ACC title or at least be in the top two or three when it's all said and done. Okay. Am I crazy? No, I mean I don't. I don't think you're crazy. I like some of the pieces that Duke has. I just you know. When it feels like your entire livelihood as a program is riding on a quarterback, that always feels very fragile to me. And part of the reason why I'm not really drinking the Kool-Aid on Florida State yet and look like one half of my family is all Florida State alumni. I'd love to see Florida State be able to sustain some success for their sake, if nothing else. But I just I I've found over the years that in college football, culture is a safer bet than talent. And though Florida State, for my money, is probably a more talented team than Clemson, Clemson's got a way stronger culture. And what Florida State did last year, while no doubt impressive, still kind of feels like a flash in the pan to me. No, that's fair. Let's go to let's go to the Big Ten. Okay, uh, let's do surprise team and winner. The winner of the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. I I, it's not going to surprise anybody that I'll take him, but I'll take Michigan. Um, that's the easiest bet, I would say, right now to win 
maybe any power five conference. I think most are, I mean, there, there are some people talking up Michigan is the 2023 national champion. I'm not there with Jim Harbaugh and this football team, but I do have them winning the big 10. I just, I have questions about how Ohio state replaces CJ Stroud. Um, is it Kyle McCord? I, it's probably Kyle McCord that steps into that role. But even so, is he going to be everything in that offense that C.J. Stroud was? I don't know. And if Ohio State can't win games with potent offense, you know, that's – those Ohio State teams that can't put up 40, 50 points at will, those are the Ohio State teams that go places like Minnesota in October and November and struggle, you know. So I I like Michigan to win the Big Ten. My sleeper team, this is a very easy call for me, it's Wisconsin because I think they have a ton of pieces to be able to potentially win double-digit games and contend for a conference. Tanner Mordecai. That, starts, that starts with Tanner Mordecai at the quarterback position. And Wisconsin has very quietly, Brandon, been one of the most consistently successful programs in college football for a decade now. But what they have always lacked is really any semblance of offensive firepower, most specifically in the passing game. Because... There have been times, there have been many years, in fact, where the Badgers have had a very strong run game, whether it be with Melvin Gordon or James White or more recently, Jonathan Taylor. They've always, they've got a very strong tradition. Braylon Allen, ever since Taylor left, they've got a very strong tradition when it comes to being able to establish the run. Mm -hmm. What they have consistently lacked is somebody that can push the ball downfield from the pocket and keep the chains moving through the air. I think Tanner Mordecai can be that guy. And I think Phil Longo in his first year as OC at Wisconsin is really going to open things up for that program, which has not seen a high octane offense in the entire history of the program. That's going to change in 2023. I, I see Wisconsin. Russell Wilson much... is high octane. What's up now? Russell Wilson was high octane with Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay, but I mean that's so before and he, and he threw for what twenty eight hundred yards yeah. that year. But that's kind of my point. That's the most exciting offense those folks at Wisconsin have ever seen. I've seen I, I view Wisconsin in the same light as I view Iowa, which is all they've ever needed is an offensive coordinator, uh, an offensive coordinator rather, and a quarterback who can open things up in the passing uh-huh. game. And you're talking conference championship contender on a perennial basis as long as the defense holds up which is never really a question with a program like that. No, it's not. They're, they're mainly because they they have such good ball control because they can run the ball so well. And you add, obviously, Tanner Mordecai, Braylon Jordan. I mean, my goodness. Uh, they've got quite the arsenal. You're right. I, I, I agree with that. I think Luke Fickle also is a fantastic uh, head coach. Uh, my winner is going to be in maybe – this is kind of chalk and easy, right? I'm going to go with Michigan to win again. And here's why I don't have Ohio State. Because I don't know what Kyle McCord and Devin Brown are going to be at quarterback. I, I don't. Do you? Like, you you expect them to be good because C.J. Stroud was good and every other quarterback that's played for him over the last, you know, seven or eight years under – uh, Ryan Day, whether he's the OC or the head coach, has been really good, right? 
But do we trust Kyle McCord following C.J. Stroud? He has Marvin Harrison Jr. to throw to. Do you do you fully trust him, Parker? No, I don't, and that's I, again that's part of the reason I'm not taking Ohio State to win the conference. Oh, I thought you said Ohio State. No, no, no. I I picked Michigan. Oh, okay. Michigan well, then I'm, I'm picking Michigan too. I almost picked Penn State, by the way. I almost picked Penn State. Um, I <laughs> even the one of the dumber picks ever. Even though they're they're good, I I I love the addition of Dante Cephas at wide receiver for them. Uh, but I'll go Michigan just because I think JJ McCarthy is dynamic. Blake Corum's dynamic. Donovan Edwards is that guy can do it all, I, and and so can Corum obviously. Uh, it, I just think defensively, uh, they added Josiah Stewart. And did you talk about Ernest Hosman? Did I miss that? No, but that's, I mean, very quietly, one of the biggest transfer pickups in the entire Was it not? Wow, right? That dude can ball. Linebacker formerly at Nebraska. Uh, my, my surprise team, you're probably going to laugh at me. Um, I want to say Iowa so badly. I want to say Iowa. So I'm going to do it. I'm, Iowa is going to be my surprise team. I don't think Illinois or Minnesota can be viewed as surprise teams because they've been good, right? Really, really good for a while. Like they've been competing and at least challenging the upper echelon of the Big 12 consistently since PJ Fleck got to, to Minnesota and obviously Brett Bilima uh, finishing what I think he. They won the Big Ten West last year, correct? So I don't think they could be a, considered a surprise anymore, especially when they brought in Luke Altmeyer at Illinois as the quarterback. Uh, my reasoning is this. Is one, Ferenc is a stud. The guy has been there for ages. I know his son, Brian Ferenc, isn't exactly – considered a offensive savant right now hashtag nepotism there i said it yeah that guy yes very much so but they're always so stout on defense so i trust that side of the ball and at some point i think the addition of Cade mcnamara i think the addition of eric all at tight end and Caleb Brown, a wide receiver, should at least open things up a little bit or at least make Ferenc open the playbook up because if you can add just a, a semblance of offense, right? I want to say they averaged under 30 points a game last year, which is in today's college football is stupid. If you can't average 30 a game, there's something wrong with you. Seriously. OU averaged 32, almost 33 a game last year. And they got goose-egged without a quarterback against Texas, which <laughs> severely hindered their, their average per game, right? And, and they played two and a half quarters without Dylan Gabriel against TCU, right? So that hindered their average per game. You, you, you have Dylan Gabriel in there. The average per game significantly rises. And if he doesn't get hurt. So there, there's at least a viable excuse why Oklahoma was only at around 33 
last year. There's no excuse for, for Brian Ferentz in Iowa. And they're definitely not one now if Cade McNamara stays healthy, right? So that's my surprise team. I feel like they have a chance to at least compete. Uh, they're in the Big Ten West, right? Yes. Is that correct? Okay. So they have a chance to compete and win the Big Ten West. And if they can do that, I think that this, this – they could be the surprise team. I know Iowa generally has – they. They're they're kind of a roller coaster team where they're really really good one year, and then they're like six and six the next, and then they'll be, you know, eleven and two the next year. Then they'll be five and seven the next. They're very up and down. They had their down year last year, to an extent. I think they're this will be their up year. All right, we've done the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the ACC. There's five total conferences. <laughs> I'm trying to think now. You got to do the Big 12 and the SEC, Brandon. We'll go SEC. SEC. Mm. My surprise team. And I guess it's not going to be a total surprise based on the incremental strides they've made the last couple of seasons. But Shane Beamer in South Carolina, man. That's a good pick. Like, it's Spencer Rattler. Like, if, if lightning in a bottle is encapsulated in a person that person is spencer rattler mm-hmm. right because like if he's on and we saw it last year against tennessee i mean pete <laughs> i feel as though we've we've almost just completely glazed over the fact like we don't remember that south carolina laid waste to tennessee a year ago the same tennessee team that beat alabama 52 to 49 and derailed their hopes of a national championship, that same Tennessee team got absolutely throttled by Spencer Rattler in South Carolina. Now, <laughs> Spencer Rattler's calling card is well, and like he he wouldn't he wouldn't tell you this, but most anybody that's watched a lot of Spencer Rattler over the last three, four seasons will tell you that his calling card is inconsistency. That's uh-huh. the thing that's kind of defined him as a collegiate quarterback. When he's really good, he's really good. When he's really bad, he's really bad. He doesn't necessarily have to hit the same highs that he did a year ago, i.e. six touchdown passes in that win over Tennessee. But as long as those lows come up, as long as he's not throwing interceptions willy-nilly because he gets in his own head and Georgia very much victimized him in that capacity when those two teams squared off early in the season last year. As long as his highs aren't too high and his lows aren't too low, this is a guy, and and on a broader scale, this is a program that can make some stuff happen in 2023. So if I got to pick an SEC team, I'm going with the Gamecocks. And who do you have winning it? Man, I don't say Georgia. Like, well, it's we... like the least sexy pick <laughs> in the history of picks, right? But like, how do you not go with Georgia? Because no, I, and, uh, and, no. I, and I want to go with Alabama. Like, I truly do. I want to be able to go with Alabama or LSU or somebody. And I would probably, if I had to pick a second team, I'd pick LSU. But I, I for the first time in a while, I have my concerns about Alabama, and yeah. most of that has to do with the quarterback situation. Because I'm just telling you right now, if Tyler Buckner is Alabama's starting quarterback this fall, <laughs> I just 
it's going to be a bumpy ride. Dude struggles starting at Notre Dame, let, let alone Alabama, right? It's awful. Uh, Parker, I, I like your picks. I mean, I I, I do. I, my surprise team is going to be Ole Miss, though. Okay. And here's why. Okay, I know people have them in the top, you know, five, six, seven of the SEC, but I uh, there, there's a part of me that thinks they actually could win the SEC West this year. There is. like, And then mainly because you just said it, Alabama's quarterback situation is rough. And we're going to look back at this and probably laugh at how stupid we are to, to question Nick Saban, right? At the end of the – he's proven it time and time again that he will find a way to be the G on the street. When it comes to the SEC. And so, particularly the SEC West. So we're probably going to be laughing at how stupid our picks were at the end of the the season. But I was conflicted on my um, surprise teams because I thought Arkansas, being that they're similar to Oklahoma and the fact that they have what – they lost so many games by single digits over the last few years that at some point with a quarterback like K.J. Jefferson – you would think they would be able to, you know, get over that hump and at least win nine, ten games. But the problem is, is I don't know that their depth at quarterback is there. And so I'm going to go with the addition of Pete Golding as a defensive coordinator at Ole Miss. And the fact that – listen to this QB room, Parker. Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders – Walker Howard. Talk about riches upon riches, dude. That's unreal. Lane Kiffin has built himself literally a QB room that is akin to QB rooms of the past at Oklahoma, at Alabama, and at Ohio State, right? Even you, former USC teams under Pete Carroll. Just insane insane QB room. And then they have one of the best tailbacks in the uh, nation in Quinshawn Judkins. Uh, You can control the clock, you can throw the ball, and you got Pete Golding on defense. I know some people hate on Pete Golding, but he's produced really well, right? He's done a good job. So to me, that is why I have Ole Miss as the surprise team. And I think they could literally win the FCC West. I think it is a very tight race between LSU, Ole Miss, and Alabama. Am I am I crazy for saying that right now for the West? No, I don't think you're crazy for that. Um, I think it no. a lot a lot is riding on how well whoever that starting quarterback is ultimately plays in 2023. Because you're going to have to have strong quarterback play if you want to be able to supplant LSU and supplant Alabama, because I look, we know Dart and Sanders can play. We know they can play, but can they elevate an offense to the point where Ole Miss is going toe to toe? Because like, I look at Tennessee a year ago, for instance, and what Hendon Hooker did. He had a very strong individual season, but I, his presence also 
elevated that offense as a whole to the point where they could bring Alabama into Rocky Top and walk that thing off and beat Nick Saban and the Crimson Tide. Mm-hmm. But you you almost have to like, yes, Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders can play, but you're gonna have to crank it into another gear if you want to be able to navigate the gauntlet of the SEC West. Yeah. No, that's right. Um my winner, I don't want to pick Georgia. <laughs> I just don't. I, you pick Vanderbilt. That seems to be a trendy pick. Oh my gosh. Who are those douchebags that did that? There's five. No, I, I have no idea, man. I've like I, I and I know the thing at Media Days these days is that they'll pretty much let anybody in, but when you have people picking Vanderbilt to win the SEC over the defending national champions and the program that's won what six of the last fourteen national titles, like what, what what the hell are we doing here? I don't know. I'm going to pick Georgia though. I, I I'm going to add this though. I think that on the in the SEC East side, I think Kentucky could shock some people with Devin Leary at quarterback. Devin Leary, yep. So, anyways. All right, I think we'll go to the Big 12 and then we'll we'll finish this bad boy out. Uh Parker. I have 12. Oklahoma winning the conference. Okay. Boone's pumping sunshine again. There you go. But yeah, I just I I think that schedule is so easily navigable and if there is any quantifiable improvement on the defensive side of the ball, Oklahoma might not go unscathed through the regular season. I'm not saying I expect that, but I do expect them to have a pretty easy path, pretty straightforward path to the Big 12 championship game in Arlington and that environment. I mean, I'll take Brent Venables and I'll take Dylan Gabriel and I'll take the Sooners against all comers. Now, the team that I believe can surprise some folks in the Big 12 this year, for me, that would be Kansas. And I think there's major major trap potential when Oklahoma goes up to Lawrence at the end of October, because you're going to be coming off the Texas game followed by a bye week, Mm -hmm. which means you're going to play the most emotionally taxing game of your season. And then you're going to have an off week with which you can either refocus and gear up for the second half kick or can get lackadaisical and apathy can set in. And especially if you win that game against Texas, you can start to put things in cruise control mentally. And that's where Lance Leipold and that Kansas football program will be able to get you. And they will take advantage of any mistakes that you make. And I just, I, I think it's Kansas because I love Lance Leipold as a coach, man, to do what he has done with that program in as short of a time as he has had to establish his vision and overhaul that roster. It's borderline miraculous what has happened at Kansas in the span of the last two seasons. They went from being the laughing stock of college football for 10 years straight, Brandon, uh-huh. to having four all big 12 preseason picks, including the all big 12 preseason pick at the quarterback position. And all of that happened in the span of two years, literally two years. And that's not an extended two years either. Cause you, you, 
we must remember Leipold took the Kansas job in like late spring or early summer 2021 after everything went down with less miles there. Emmett Jones was the interim coach for a brief moment in time. He was the right. interim head coach at Kansas. And then they hired Leipold on a permanent basis. And so it's, I mean, it's probably not long past the two-year anniversary of Leipold's hiring as Kansas's coach. And that is night and day a different program than the one that he inherited. So I, I, I would put Texas Tech in this same category. But that's probably going to take people less by surprise if Texas Tech wins double-digit games than if Kansas pulls it off. It could be Oregon early in the season. Tech could, so yeah, yeah they're going to have the chance to do so. But I'll I'll go Kansas. Uh, I'll go Kansas over Tech for my sleeper pick. All right. Um, probably going to get laughed at here. I'm going to do it. Oh, I thought you were going to take Texas to win the conference. No, I'm a Cincinnati surprise team. Uh, here's why. Big Emory Jones guy, huh? Well, no, I, but I do think he fits exactly what Satterfield likes to do at quarterback in his system. Uh, I also think they got – what they get? Xavier Henderson, I think, is transferred from Florida yep. to him, a receiver. Um, I want to say they had one of the top – I want to say that they had like 20 plus transfers to them at one point. And they were decent transfers. So <laughs> I think, I don't know, man. Like, I know several of them were from Florida. I think Florida, Cincinnati was like very, very like a magnet for Florida transfers. Which could be a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> I don't know how you look at it, depending on what you think of those transfers. But Xavier Henderson's a good player. And to get him on top of what they already have, I want to – who's the D lineman that is like an All-American there? I can't remember his name now. At Cincinnati? Yeah. Oh, shoot. I can't remember either. Yeah, he's, it's, on he's, t- it's on the tip of my tongue. Anyways, they're going to be good up front. Um and obviously, I think Satterfield's a good coach. So they're going to be my surprise team. I think they could come in, and I don't think they'll beat Oklahoma. I don't I don't think they'll beat Oklahoma, even though they're trying to do that Big 12 homecoming thing when Oklahoma goes to Cincinnati. Uh, it'll be the very first one of the season. Big event, fireworks, flyovers, parade, all that. You know, a lot of pomp and circumstances, right, to build up the atmosphere. And – I still think Oklahoma will go in and win that one. But I think that they'll be able to surprise some teams. Uh, I don't particularly know their schedule. Uh, I'm trying to look at it real quick. Cincinnati's schedule. Here we go. So Cincinnati opens up at Eastern Kentucky. They go to Pitt. They get Miami at home, Oklahoma at home. They go to BYU by week, October 7th. Then they get... Iowa State and Baylor at home, which I think is big. They get UCF at home, which I think is big. That is why – that is exactly why I picked them. Um, a lot of their big games are at home outside of Houston, BYU, and Pitt. They're all at home. So that's why I think Satterfield in year one could really surprise some people. Maybe they're eight and four. 
nine and three by the end of the year, seven and five, maybe trying to, I, I think they could compete and play Oklahoma in the big 12 title. I'm not saying they're going to, because I think it's going to be Oklahoma and Texas. And I think Oklahoma is going to win the big 12, but I do think that you can't write off since Cincinnati's just been really good over the last three or four years. That's why they were brought in to the big 12, right? To try to alleviate and add some more competition. And so I just, I think their schedule sets up, sets up pretty nicely for them. They've done a really good job in the portal building up their roster. And it, it could be one of those, I don't think on the same level as TCU, but it could be one of those, everything falls into place TCU type season where you shock a lot of people end up eight and four, nine and three and competing for a piece of the big 12 championship title at least half of the teams so that's my pick for the big 12 and obviously uh i have oklahoma winning it all does all that make sense like do i sound crazy doing the cincinnati bit at all no i don't think you sound crazy okay honestly it's exactly what you're looking for a team that isn't getting a ton of preseason hype, but that has the pieces to make a run if things kind of fall their way. All right. I think that's good enough for this podcast. Uh, it's a longer one, but it deserved to be a longer one with everything going on. Uh, all the media days, Oklahoma, the the, the uh, preseason stuff is starting to really ramp up. And obviously fall camp is, what is it? 10 days away, 13 days away now, 13 days before the Oklahoma players report back after they leave for about a week. They report back to Norman and start to get things rolling. Then they have OU Media Day, which is the same day as Parker's wedding. Congratulations on that. I'll give you early congratulations, even though I'll be there. Um, But a lot of things are heating up. Recruiting trail, all that type of stuff. So we wanted to give you guys a really, really strong podcast. Um want to thank Olipop for obviously sponsoring this version of the OU Insider Under the Visor Sooners podcast. If you're not a subscriber to this YouTube channel, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And if you're if you're watching on YouTube, if you're not, if you're subscribing on podcast forums or any sort of Apple. Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, whatever you listen to your podcasts on, please give us five stars. Please give us a good rating. That way we know what you like and what you dislike, obviously. And if you're not on OUinsider.com, now is the time. Now is the time. All these guys that we just talked about, decisions are coming up. We're going to have all the inside information for you guys on OU Insider. Uh, we... We have really, really, really dug into this 2024 recruiting and really started to dive into 2025 as well. And we're going to have all the updates for you. And we're going to have the team. We're going to have the fall camp covered for you guys. So if you sign up now, you'll get all of that. It's $9.95 a month if you want to go month to month. Or you can just pay outright $99 and you get 12 months. So literally, it's like $8.90 something a month. It's way, it's about a buck, buck and a half less if you sign up. For a whole year. All right. That's going to do it for this version of the OU Insider Under the Visors Sooners podcast brought to you by Olipop. My name is Brandon Drum. That's Parker Thune. You guys have a blessed day.